0: Welcome to episode 97. Today, I'm interviewing Jessica Knobke, who is an expert in teaching mindfulness to children. Jessica is an occupational therapist and a yoga teacher and brings so much insight into this topic. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, this is Danae. Today, we are going to be launching off a month of talking about finding mindfulness and calm in family. If you're interested in joining this discussion, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash march to join the focused small group on this topic. But first, I want to give you a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. I recently had the opportunity to try HelloFresh after sampling a few different meal services, and I have to say that the recipes from HelloFresh were much easier to prepare. They also have a lot of options for one-pot meals, which I love because that makes cleanup just as easy as well. All the ingredients came separated by recipe, so I could easily grab the brown recyclable paper bag of ingredients and get started cooking. HelloFresh offers three options. They offer a classic option, a veggie option, and a family option. I chose the family option because those recipes tend to be quick and easy and things that the whole family will love, and it didn't disappoint. HelloFresh definitely takes the energy and brain power out of meal planning, which I appreciate, and also made it really easy for me to cook with my kids. I loved the visual recipes with the pictures of each step. My four-year-old could easily follow along with me. So give HelloFresh a try. You can go to HelloFresh.com and use the promo code SF30, as in Simple Families, 30, and you'll get $30 off your first week. On to today's episode. Today, I'm talking with Jessica Knopke from Lilypad Yoga. Jessica teaches yoga and mindfulness to young children outside of New York City. She works in schools, yoga centers, and she recently launched a YouTube channel, which we're really excited about in our house. If you go to the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 97, you can get the link to Jessica's YouTube channel along with the other things that we talk about today. Jessica is an occupational therapist and a yoga teacher by training, and she's passionate about getting kids moving. She also is invested in teaching our kids to slow down and to breathe and to find calm in this busy world. I really enjoyed talking with her, and I hope you all will take away as much as I did. Here's the interview. Hi, Jessica. Thanks so much for taking time to come on the show. Hi,
1: Danae. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Jessica, I am really interested to hear more from you. And you specialize in mindfulness for kids. And I want to know, first of all, how you got into this. Well, I've been an
1: occupational therapist for many, many years and a pediatric occupational therapist for a a good portion of that. And a few years ago, I started to fall in love with yoga in my own life. And I just found that the movement and the breath felt so good to me and so grounding and so calming. And I thought this would be really amazing for my occupational therapy clients. They, most of my clients need um, a lot of movement. And I thought, Yoga would be such a fun way to give them all that input that they need that's so good for them in a really fun and creative and loving way. And then the strategies of breath would are so helpful to self-regulate and we can use the breath to energize us or to calm us. And so I went and got my 200-hour certification to teach adults and then I went on to get my 95-hour certification to work with children, as well as taking a ton of other courses related to children's yoga and mindfulness. And I started to incorporate it into my occupational therapy sessions. And then what I started doing was, was speaking to the schools. In, you know, I live in northern Westchester, right outside the city. So I started um, reaching out to the schools and saying, I think this would be really great to put into your school day, Um, you know, so great to teach these, to teach all the children, teach an entire community of children, these skills and strategies and really the foundation of social emotional learning. And, um, and so I've implemented programs in a number of private and public preschools and elementary schools and middle schools in Northern Westchester. And that's been really exciting for me because that was really my dream when I founded Lily Pad Yoga was that I would be teaching children within their school day and just a whole community growing together. So it's been really, really exciting.
0: I love to hear that, that you're marrying this idea of yoga and mindfulness with occupational therapy, because as we know, occupational therapy is a growing field and that there are more and more children who are benefiting from occupational therapy services. And in general, every child can benefit from movement and from breath and from finding a little bit of calmness. So I love that you're bringing these services to schools and to children and i also love that you just launched your youtube channel which is really exciting
1: it is really exciting i'm uh, i'm putting another video out within the next couple of days and you know my husband has been telling me for a long time you need to you know start youtube videos of your classes and um you know and that was definitely moving in a in a direction that was out of my comfort zone But what I've been finding recently is that when I'm when I'm teaching the children, the children are saying to me, I do yoga videos at home. And I thought, you know what, if if the children are doing yoga videos at home, then I do want to do these videos because I would love for them to be doing lily pad yoga. And mindfulness. So that was really, um, it was inspiring to me when the, when the children were telling me this, and I'm really excited, um, to, to be launching these YouTube videos and reach a, you know, a, a, you know, a bigger audience.
0: And when you say that you want the children to be doing lily pad yoga, I think that there's an important difference because I have watched a lot of kids YouTube videos for yoga and I've searched high and low and almost everything that I've seen is super high-tech, high-stimulating, loud music, flashing lights, fast-moving, and it's it's different than what I'm looking for. I'm looking for sort of this bare-bones, just simple yoga class like an adult would have because I know that my kids really benefit from that quiet and that calm and that that limited period of time where they can just sit and focus and listen to one person talking, looking at one person. And I think that that's really hard to find when it comes to online videos for kids. So I'm loving that you're doing that.
1: Thank you. Yes. I, I am definitely a very low tech person and I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not one for a lot of noise and a lot of stimulation and, and I agree. And I think that the children really enjoy, Um, and can benefit from, um, from that kind of bare bones perspective where they're just kind of, um, you know, really kind of getting in touch just with their own bodies and, and, um, in that, in that way where they don't need all that extra stuff because really everything they need to do yoga is just already within them and, you know, and they're, ability to just, um, you know, I just love working with children because they really have so much fun with it and they're so creative and, um, you know, they're so, they're so joyful. So I I do think that, that they have this ability to watch a video like that without all the bells and whistles and really have a lot of fun.
0: Right. And I think as parents, we have the tendency to seek out things that look really fun and might a might appeal to kids as we might imagine. So those would be like the really busy stimulating ones. And I think this goes beyond just choosing technology but also for choosing toys. I think a lot of times adults veer towards the light up really noisy toys for kids because those look fun in an adult's eyes versus like the simple wood toys don't appear as fun to an adult. So they make purchases based more on their own needs for stimulation rather than the needs of our kids. And we know from the research that our kids actually benefit from low-stimulating environments and from less intense technology, and really just less technology in general.
1: I agree with that, and um, you know that's something that I'm really mindful of in you know in my own home of, with the technology and really managing how much time my children spend on the screen and how much time I spend on the screen and. Um, you know i try to really make sure that when i'm with the children i'm connected to the children so you know i try to explain to them when it's when it's my screen time when i'm responding to work emails or doing lesson planning i let them know and i say you know i need to do some work on the computer so i'm going to need to be looking at my screen and i'll try to give them a timeline i'll be on for 20 more minutes or 30 more minutes and then when i'm off I really try to put the screen away so that when I'm with them, I'm really with them. And I really encourage my children to also not spend a lot of time on technology. My son is nine and my daughter is 11 and a half. And I think it's really important that our children have really an abundance of time without being on the screens. For me, from my perspective, when I'm thinking about technology and screen time from a yoga and mindfulness perspective, when the children are, when they have that screen, it it can take away their, their time to really navigate some of the bigger, more challenging emotions that they really need to be able to sit with and get comfortable with, so feelings like boredom or feeling, you know... Frustrated or angry or sad. So it's important when they feel those feelings to not try to escape them But to kind of lean into it a little bit. So when my children come to me and they say I'm bored. I say Good (laughs) It's good to feel bored feeling bored is really important because you get to know yourself a little bit more and you're either going to learn to be able to handle that emotion of being bored, or you're going to find something really wonderful to do. So you're either going to lie on the couch and just think your thoughts, or maybe you're going to have a really great art project that you come up with. So either one of those choices—just kind of hanging out with yourself or finding something wonderful to do—that's great, and it's a good skill. And you know, it's a big joke in my house because you know we. This is what I say all the time. Um, But I do think that it's really important. And so, you know, I try to live that way, whether I'm home or whether I'm out. So, you know, if we're at a restaurant and we're waiting for our meals, even when my children were very young, I always would bring, you know, simple art projects or we play games. I bring travel games, travel checkers. Um, Now that the children are older, we can, you know, play more kind of word games Um, you know, if we're sitting at the allergist office and we're there for a long time and we can be there for a very long time and, you know, if we're bored, well, we're going to be bored together, you know, and, um, just kind of staying connected and being able to navigate, um, those more challenging feelings, I, I think is really important. And they have to, to be able to feel that in little doses when they're young. So that as they get older, they've got those coping strategies,
0: Right. And I 100% agree that kids need to be bored. And I think that from boredom comes creativity and innovation. And I, I couldn't agree more on that. I thought it was interesting that you said that you can be bored together. Because a lot of times, we as adults have just as hard, maybe even harder of a time being bored than our kids do. And I think that this is really evident by, you know, looking around at a restaurant or in a waiting room at a doctor's offices to see what percentage of the people in the room have their phones in their hands. And I feel like this, and I've 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 been watching this for the past year or so, and this really sort of crosses all age barriers. I've seen very young people with phones in their hands, and I've seen very old people with phones in their hands just sort of vegging out. Um, And I think, yeah, it's, Contagious and it's addictive, and it really does sort of create this barrier from us being present in the moment and being really aware of what's going on around us.
1: Absolutely, Danae. I, I completely agree with you, and and that's what we do. So if we're waiting online at the market, you know, we, we're checking our phone to see, you know, what's going on. And, um, and so we are constantly being distracted. And it is, it is, it has such an unbelievable addictive quality. And you're right, and it spans all ages. And, you know, that's even when I um, you know, when I'm at the market, I really try to not pull out my phone and make sure when I'm checking out that I'm looking at the person that's checking me out and even connecting with them at that time. And it, it is important, you know. you know, sometimes I'll see, you know, at bus stops and the big kids, there'll be like a group and everybody's on their phone and right. Or at the market and everybody's in line and everybody's on their phone. And, you know, these, even these are skills that we need to navigate is just, you know, having those simple conversations or awkward conversations or whatever it is. Like these, these are life skills, you know, to be able to kind of, um, You know, to be able to wait, to um, be able to be patient, to be able to um, to converse. And and so when we're when we're constantly escaping and on our phone, we don't we don't have those kind of opportunities.
0: Uh, Yes, that is so true. And it makes me think about sometimes like if I have to go on a road trip or, you know, if I'm taking the train or something like that and I'm on my phone a lot, I look down and then look up again and realize that I've just missed everything. (laughs) Not just the visual things, but the auditory things and really just a big span of my life that I'm not I'm not going to get back. And you're right. Like sometimes there's there's real work that I'm doing and then sometimes there's not. Sometimes I'm using my phone and technology as an escape, as an escape from boredom, as an escape from just whatever I'm feeling or not wanting to deal with on any given day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's you know, it's funny because um I was, you know, organizing some of my thoughts the other day and, you know, get, you know, in preparation for, for talking to you and just trying to get some of my, um, ideas just clarified. And my son said, um, what are you doing? And I, I told him what I was doing and he said, can I help you? And I said, sure. I said, do you want to write down, you know, kind of my thoughts? And so what I was thinking about at that time was my, you know, organizing my thoughts on technology. And my son said, he said, everybody's always looking down at their phone. And he said, but life isn't about looking down at your phone. Life is looking up because it's all around you. And I said, yeah, it is. So to your point of when we're looking down, we are missing a lot of stuff.
0: Right. And I love that your son said that. And I think that on many levels, kids have this ability to be present and to be mindful in their early years that we as adults have long lost. It's sort of like there are, there are all these gifts that children have, like the ability to um, believe in fantasy and have wild, amazing imaginations. Um, they have an ab- amazing ability to learn languages and hear distinct differences between sounds. And they also have this amazing ability to be right now right here in the present and to really have an appreciation for that and I know that a lot of times I'll pick up my son from school and I'll be like what did you do today and he's just like he's like what are we having for lunch and like (laughs) you know and in my mind I'm very much like I want to hear what happened today I want to hear about your day and in his mind he's like I'm hungry, and I'm ready to eat. And it's very much about what's going on right here, right now. And developmentally, that's completely appropriate. Developmentally, young children do tend to live in the present. At what age, Jessica, do you feel like you've seen anxiety start to kick in? Because like you said, you know this is an epidemic. Anxiety and depression in childhood and in our teenage years is something that we're seeing more and more, and it's it's yeah. just getting worse. So where when do you see that transition? Because you work a lot with elementary school and preschool age, right?
1: I do, I would say I really see it by kindergarten that the children are telling me that, um, that they feel nervous about, you know, about things. And sometimes I might see it. Um, I've had children, you know, maybe sometimes at four year old, four years old, say stuff like that to me, but usually i I'm seeing it at five and up i'm seeing um you know and 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 working with children who are having a large amount of anxiety.
0: So my gut feeling on that, that which sort of where my mind goes is this idea that kindergarten is the new first grade, and that we're moving all of these academic requirements up earlier and earlier and requiring kids to sit more and more when they're not developmentally ready. And I mean, is that part of this? Do you think I mean, I know I I always point the finger at that, because I see that that's happening more and more.
1: I will say, you know, children don't have as much of an opportunity to move as they did, and movement is incredibly important um, for our brains and for learning. And children require so much more movement than we do. And I mean, and and some, you know, and, and maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I would say. Some children need more movement than other children do. and But they all it, need a lot of movement, right? But they all need a lot of movement. They just do. It's their bodies. And, you know, everything has a purpose. So children require a lot of movement because they need a lot of movement to grow and to make all those connections so that they keep growing and keep, you know, refining their fine motor coordination and keep evolving. And so their desire to move is so great. And, and, you know, when we move it also, you know, the way we move and the way we hold our body, it all sends signals to our brain, whether our brain should be paying attention or whether it's, you know, or whether it should be resting. So movement is, incredibly important and and some children you know really need more movement than others and so those children especially when they're expected to sit and be still for long periods of time it's very hard for them and what i always explain you know to the grown-ups in their lives is that you know they children inherently want to please us and so it's not that they don't want to sit still for you it's that they can't sit still for you. Children inherently know what their bodies need in regard to movement so that they can feel organized and in the best position to learn. So children who need more vestibular movement, movement through space, they tend to, you know, maybe, um, maybe, uh, you know, whirl around a little bit more, or they're the ones who maybe need to run a little bit more, do a lot of rocking in their chair. Um, some children need more of that heavy work, that proprioceptive input. Um, so sometimes you might see those children moving away where they're kind of crashing or leaning against the walls. And so they need more input. And so when children are are given the opportunity to move, they can find those those opportunities to give their bodies what they need so that they are in the best position to move. And so that's, you know, certainly a part of it. And, um, you know, and the expectations are different now than they were, um, for previous generations. And so I, I do, you know, hear from children, you know, they feel nervous, you know, nervous about, um, taking a test or nervous about their homework or nervous if they don't understand something, Um, and I, you know, I love, you know, teaching children really about how their brains and their bodies work and how that feeling of anxiety, um, how that makes changes in our minds and our bodies. And so I love to teach them, you know, about, I, I tell them about their amygdala and how it works and how that is, you know, a really, a part of our brain that is a, Fierce friend of ours that is always looking out to protect us. And so when we feel nervous, our amygdala sets a lot of things in motion and makes changes in our mind and our bodies. And those changes don't always feel that good. Although our amygdala is really doing the best it can to protect us, that it sets our fight and flight or fight or flight response in motion. And I I teach the children about that, about about you know, how their brains and their bodies work, which is very empowering for them to understand what's going on. And then I explain to them that we have real strategies that we can use to help calm our mind and our body. And so you know, I tell them that the first thing is is just to be aware of how we feel. So even just by saying to ourselves or to somebody we love, I feel nervous, I feel anxious, I feel worried, right then, even just labeling how we feel right away starts to calm our amygdala. So our amygdala is already feeling better. And then the most powerful way the most effective way that we can calm our bodies and minds and let our amygdala know we're okay thanks for working so hard but we're okay is by taking our breaths and sending it all the way down to our bellies and when we send our breath all the way down to our bellies, then our a, a message goes to our brain telling us that Everything is going to be okay. And so I love to give them these strategies, these real strategies, so that they know when I feel nervous, that's my, that is my brain and my body working so hard doing its job to try to protect me. But I also have the power and the ability to let my mind and body know that I'm okay. And it doesn't have to work that hard through being aware of my emotions and by and by taking some deep breaths and so giving them these and then you know there's many other strategies that I teach them, but I, I try to give them these strategies so that strategies that they can use when they're sitting at their desks at school and strategies that they can use at home at well as well.
0: And it's funny that you mentioned strategies because I actually, I have a story. So when I was nine, I was in a program called Fast Lane and it was a program for gifted students and kids that they assumed were going to be in the fast lane, which I assume is pretty much every child that's in the fast lane of life now <laughs> these days. This was, I don't let's see, I don't know, 25 years ago or so. Um, and they taught us how to do progressive relaxation when I was nine. They didn't tell us that it was called that, but they showed us how to do it it. And I learned how to do it. And I have literally been doing it exactly like I was taught when I was nine. And I still use it today.
1: That is so great. That is a strategy that I'm always teaching Um, at pretty much from three and up. I do progressive muscle relaxation. And that is a fantastic strategy. So I love that somebody taught that to you when you were young. And that was something that you can use. And children can use that. What I tell them is they can use that right at their desks, they can go ahead and do that and and come into their body first. And I tell them that you know, when I'm nervous and I make sure that they know that everybody gets nervous, everybody in the world gets nervous. And I, I and I tell them that, you know, the first thing I do when I'm nervous and I notice that I'm feeling a little panicky is I say, oh boy, I'm feeling nervous. And I come into my body and I feel my feet on the ground and I come back to my body that way. And then I take my deep breaths and all of that helps me and can help all of us to come back to the present moment. And that's what being mindful means. Being mindful means that we're paying attention to the present moment without judgment. And so to be mindful, we have these strategies, these ways of anchoring back and coming back to the present moment, whether that's through our breath or through our body or anchoring to sounds, we have ways to kind of um, to to just come back and stay in this present moment, which means, you know, we're 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 coming out of that that place where we're we've moved to the future, and we're worried, worried, worried. We're we're thinking about the past, and we're thinking about things that went wrong, and kind of rehashing and reliving that. And we've got all these stories that we create, and. Coming back to our breath, coming back to our body, coming back, it helps to let go of those stories and to let go of the worries of the future and let go of the things that have already happened. Because, you know, the things that have already happened, you know, the lifespan of of an emotion is 90 seconds. But we tend to be angry or upset a lot longer than that. And that's because we, we rehash it. We relive it. We keep bringing it back. And every time we bring it back, we, we create that response again. And every time we bring it back, you know, something that we're worried about or something that angered us, we, we make that connection, the stronger connection in our mind. So, so the body scan, that, that's a great example of a way to come back and to, and to come back to your body. So you're coming back with, with your mind and And you're using your body in that way to really relax you. Um, So you're connecting that, that, you know, creating that mind-body connection.
0: I'm a little surprised to hear that you use that as young as three, because I guess my thought would be if I tried it with my four-year-old that he wouldn't be able to hold still long enough to really focus on it. But I guess it's a different type of stillness, because I feel like the stillness that we expect out of kids um, and we ask of kids a lot of times is when they have a lot of energy and we ask them to sit down and hold still, and that's when they really struggle. But I guess perhaps if we're teaching this when they're in the right place of mind and when when they already have an amount of stillness? Is that, would you recommend that?
1: Well, what I would say is when I'm teaching children these strategies, they are typically not perfectly still or quiet. And that's okay with me. So if I'm doing something like that with a child, they probably are going to be squirmy or they probably do want to share something with me that they're thinking about. And that's okay. So, you know, when I'm doing something like that, like that with, with small children, first of all, I'm doing it Pretty quickly, like I'm not spending too much time, I just say, you know, for example, if I was working with a young child, go ahead and scrunch up your toes and squeeze your toes as much as you can and take a breath in. And then as you breathe out, go ahead and relax your toes. And then go ahead and bend at your knees and squeeze your legs in, take a breath in. And as you breathe out, go ahead and relax your legs. And so I would move like that through their body in a fairly quick way. And I definitely, you know, even when I end my classes and we're doing, you know, shavasana, resting time, um, even that is a very shortened time. And usually, and before... I have them come into Shavasana, I'll have them do candlestick pose, and I come around and I blow their candles out and I squeeze their feet. And then I go ahead and kind of pull on their legs a little bit and give them a little traction. And then I shake, 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 shake their legs all the way down to the floor. So see, I'm always incorporating movement kind of as as into the relaxation part of it, and my expectation when I'm working with with young children is that they won't be they won't really be able to sit still or quiet for very long. so short amounts of time. so, for example, I will um ring the singing bowl in the beginning of class, and when I do that, the children sit up nice and tall, and we listen to sound of the bowl. And I'll say, even at that young age, when we're listening to the sound of the bowl, your mind will move away and it will think of other things. And that's okay. Just when you notice that, bring your mind back to the bowl. And then when you can't hear the bowl anymore, place your hands on your belly. So it's these little, it's these little bouts. And so I think at that young age, that very, very young age, it's about planting seeds and it's about introducing these concepts of. Um, placing our attention on our breath and on our body, but it's always in really fun and really loving ways. And as far as um, calming our children, when we're trying to calm them, I typically try to meet the children where they are energy wise first, before I bring them down to calm them. So, you know, for example, last week, I was going to do a mindful eating lesson with reasons and when i walked into my preschool class the children had so much energy so much energy and i was like well there is no way i'm doing mindful eating today and so i scrapped that and we sang a really fun song and i followed their lead so if if I come in and they're all kind of jumpy. Well, then I'm going to start, you know, with a frog pose. And then I'm going to move to, you know, the next pose. But I'm going to meet them where they are based on on what I see they need. And they're showing me what they need by the way they're moving. And then slowly I start to bring them down. So then it might be that I'm bringing them into child's pose or mouse pose at the end and then maybe I'm giving them a little squish on the back and then at that point then I've moved them from these kind of more energetic poses and movement poses until I come down to a pose like child's pose candlestick pose and then it's time to rest.
0: You mentioned meeting them where they're at and I think that that is a concept that we need to apply all across parenting, and in particular when it comes to movement, um, but in general, I think just paying attention and ourselves being mindful of what our kids really need and trying to help them meet those needs when possible, it makes me think. And I've recently noticed my kids really have rhythms throughout the day. Every morning, my son gets up around six thirty, six forty-five, and about he eats breakfast, and around seven fifteen, he settles into. Some really quiet work. He often does magnetiles or Legos, but he's off in our playroom by himself and just really working diligently and quietly. And that is every single morning around seven fifteen. And I have also noticed that every afternoon around four o'clock he's running around the dining room table like a wild banshee. And it's just it's fascinating to me to see that the different times of the day he has different energy levels. and it makes me think that if I really need him to focus on him to focus on doing something really um intentional or very concentrated, then maybe I should try to gear that towards mornings. And I certainly shouldn't plan any quiet activities for four o'clock in the afternoon because those are going to be nothing but a battle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that it's so smart of you to, to recognize these patterns in your children and, and to think to yourself, when should I plan You know, each activity according to their energy level and their focus. And I think that's so smart. And I think that inherently we do that as adults, right? Because we know when the best times of day are for us to do our work or for us to do our meditation or for us to do our exercise. And we usually, you know, kind of live accordingly to that. And so I think it's it's so great to be able to acknowledge those same rhythms in your child and to be able to, um, to kind of schedule around that.
0: You're right. And well, it's definitely not always possible because we have schedules that have to be tended to as well. Sure. But I think that that's a good point. I never thought about that from the adult role as far as as an adult, like three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like struggling to keep my eyes open. Am I going to do a lot of like intense exercise at three o'clock in the afternoon. Maybe not. Um, you know, I don't know. Although as a mom, I feel like I have to fit it in wherever I can. And sometimes (laughs) I do work out in the afternoons, but you're right. Following those rhythms of what feels good to your body at what times of the day and what you're really, um, what you're really equipped to do. And like sometimes seven o'clock in the morning, I'm not equipped to do real intensive work, but my son is, so we're also different. So this kind of brings me to a thought. So I talk a lot on the podcast and on the blog about how we don't really need to involve our kids in a lot of extracurricular activities and how young children and even elementary school children really need to have a lot of white space, a lot of unplanned time, a lot of boredom, like we talked about just a few minutes ago. So I don't want the audience to take away from this episode that they need to go enroll their kids in a yoga class (laughs) because that it's wonderful. And if you want to make that a priority in your family, that's great. But at the same time, if it's going to be a burden and if it's going to be one more thing to add to your list, then I wouldn't recommend it. Um, But Jessica, I know that you have a lot of really wonderful ideas for incorporating mindfulness into the everyday routine too. Yes.
1: You know, I, there's, There's a lot of ways that you can bring it into your home. And as far as the yoga and the movement, you know, you can have a yoga adventure with your child anytime and you can take a rocket ship to the zoo or you could take a plane to the jungle. That's what we did today in class. We took an airplane to the jungle and you can incorporate music and you can just follow their lead and just just that time to connect and let them move and create and become whatever animal they want or whatever thing in nature they want is a great way to move your body and connect and for young children you know as far as you know working on that 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 breath or practicing those breaths that those breaths i um you know for me in my house you know i i I have a, you know, um, a spot where I keep all kind you know, a board of strategies of, um, of breath and movement. And this is something that I usually share with the the families that I work with is to keep, um, you know, if you want to practice with the breath, young children, I love to have Something for them to do the breath with so one of those things are feathers And so they can take the feathers and put them on their palms and blow their feathers off And so you can keep just a little jar of feathers on the counter um, Another breathing technique that I love is to have the children decorate a rock and they could put a rock on their belly when they lie down they would feel the weight of the rock when they're breathing and and
0: I love those ideas. Would you think that you could send me those and I can link them up for everyone listening so that they can have a reference list? Because I think we could all use a reference list for that.
1: I would love to do that. Yes. And I will just say that, you know, the most important thing about, you know, bringing mindfulness into our home and, you know, really, really helping our children stay in the present moment and to use these strategies of of breath and our ability to kind of just notice where our thoughts are and and say you know I feel and kind of kind of frame our conversations talking about um you know how we feel and our emotions and our ability to stay connected and present really start with with us, And so parents, as parents, we really need to embody mindfulness if we want to bring it into our home because our children are really watching us and they're watching to see and learning from us how present we are and our ability to kind of take that breath before we react. Before we respond, and so I think the most important thing is to really is to really embody mindfulness and start bringing it into your life as the grown up first. Um, Whether it's strategies of breath or of movement or whatever strategy speaks to you or whatever aspect of of mindfulness speaks to you, and when your children see that you know they're going to they're going to take from that.
0: Yes, and I think that that is something that we can all strive for. And it's easier said than done a lot of times because I know that I have struggled to have a regular yoga or meditation or mindfulness practice. But I think we can find little bits and pieces of that in our everyday, little bits of presence, and I always tell people that five minutes of high quality present connected time beats out an hour of half zoned out time any day. So it's completely quality over quantity.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a really great point. I think that's a really great point, you know, and I, and I would also say that, um, you know, these, you know, the, this, when I'm teaching, uh, Parents and teachers and children, what I always say is, you know, if we practice these things for a little bit each day, that ability to kind of anchor in, stay in the present moment, to let go of those thoughts of the future and the past. It's not about clearing our minds because that's not the way it works. Our minds wander, and that's the nature of our mind to wander. So being present is really noticing when you've moved away from what you're doing right now. And when you notice you've moved away, you have two choices. You can either stay out there or you can come back to what you're doing right now. And so when you find a strategy that works for you that helps you kind of come back to that anchor, practicing it a little bit each day when you feel calm and things are feeling relatively easy is key. Because this way when you're handling bigger emotions like feeling nervous or angry, you have these strategies and these skills strengthened because especially at those times it's it's challenging it's challenging to pause and take our breath and come back at those times so if we practice it little by little that quality just starts to naturally be with us through the day where we notice if we're having thoughts that are maybe not feeling that kind to ourselves or we're stuck in the future in the past we start to just see where we've gone and think oh all right there's a thought and come back it's very freeing and it's very calming and it really does help us to to stay right here
0: Thank you. And thank you so much, Jessica, this has been so wonderful and informative. And I think that everyone listening is going to take away so much from this and leave at least a little bit inspired to bring some mindfulness in their home, not just for themselves, but for the sake of their children, too. Well,
1: I was so happy to be here with you. So thank you so much, Janae, for having me on. It was really an honor.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this interview. If you have questions or comments, you can leave those at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 97. There you can also find the links to Jessica's website, lilypadyogany.com and her YouTube channel. We are also fortunate that Jessica will be live answering questions in the small focused Facebook group. So if you want to join in on that, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash March to talk with her and I more on this topic. Please take a second to leave a rating or review of the Simple Families podcast on iTunes. I would greatly appreciate your support. Thanks for tuning in.